family is all that lives in sight and sound, touch and taste. Live, come on, be human and give, give, give. <laughs> the Woodstock Roundtable welcomes you to be a part of being human. Aho! Greetings, everyone. <clears throat> Welcome to the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Grant, your host, and we look forward to welcoming some talented musicians, talented poets, green architects, and people who like to improvise. We welcome back Master Gambia West African drummer Nafamara Baji. Uh, he, along with our own Sultan of Sonic Soul, Gus Mancini, will be playing during our second hour. We'll also be joined today by a person we like having on a few times a year. He is a certified green architect, Rick Alfandre, and uh, he will catch us up on some of the positive news about green energy happening in our culture. Not enough, but at least we're seeing signs of hope. Joining me for an hour of conversational improv to kick off our show is our Woodstock Roundtable Poet Laureate. She is Victoria Sullivan. He is Radio Woodstock Weekend on-air warrior Ron Van Warmer. Some of our topics will include Welcome to the World of Zombie Lies and Collaborative Intelligence. So fasten your seatbelts, grab a good strong cup of coffee or tea, and join us for the Woodstock Roundtable. We somehow made it through another introduction. Open the pod bay doors, Hal. And good morning, Victoria. Welcome to Daylight Savings Time, Ron. Yeah, it's dark out there, but it's so nice it's going to be light I will take an hour less of sleep for an hour more of sunlight any day. I like that trade. I'm, I'm just thinking we need to just stop this daylight saving thing and just leave it. Leave it at at daylight saving time year round. A, two, a couple states do that. Florida, uh, I think, just passed a rule to do that. Arizona's you know, you are saying it. it correctly, daylight saving time. Yes. I said daylight savings time, which is wrong. Uh, and Chuck Todd told me that the other day on <laughs> MSNBC, that, that his boss years ago had gone around to everyone at the TV station saying, it's daylight saving time, no and, S on the end, because savings are in banks. Okay. <laughs> it is. It is. That's true. And and it's savings time has become so common that it has become accepted. But it I, really. I is thought wrong. it was it. Yes. <laughs> Which is related to one of the topics we'll be discussing. I love the phrase. I, I have not been able to find out who coined it. Zombie lies. <laughs> it sounds like a great rock group, right? Yeah. But a zombie or a lie, dead it, rock group. It's a neologism, right? A new word, a new phrase. Uh, that refers to the fact that, particularly in the age of the Internet, although there were zombie lies throughout human history, it is easy to kind of virally s- 
get a false fake piece of information out there and have millions of people believe it. And it's very easy. And the reason Zombie Lies is such a great description is a zombie comes from uh, the Haitian myth, the voodoo culture. And a zombie is a dead person who somehow is reanimated but has no consciousness and can't be killed. Right. I hate when that happens. (laughs) And um, sometimes your relatives seem like they're zombies. Yeah. When they just live on year after year but have nothing interesting to say. Oh, I'm convinced some of my relatives are zombies. (laughs) But the... So a zombie lie is not just fake news, but it's something that... Most people know it's false, but tons of people believe and will not allow their brains to consider it as anything other than true. In other words, you can't kill the lie. Yeah. So it's mm. called a zombie lie. That, that's so it interesting. Just keeps going round and round and round, and everybody hears it, and the more you hear it, the more you believe Which it. Which gets to one of our subjects today. I'm going to excerpt five different articles from the New York Times that appeared this week. <laughs> which seem to contradict each other. Huh. But we're going to show how they actually connect in, in, in a strange way. But before we get to that, and someone would relate that, um, before we were going on the air, and we're very prepared on this show. We arrive at least five <laughs> minutes before air yeah. time. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, you said some, something, Victoria, about... Um, or I said, let's just. Why don't we just do a show where we invite the worst guests possible and make <laughs> right. it like an all-star bad show or something? Right. Bad people. <laughs> a bad, and then you said a bad people segment, and it reminded me of one of the funniest true stories I ever heard, and you you got a kick out of it, so I'll, I'll share it with the audience. Uh, I have a good friend who I only get to see three or four times a year. Uh, lives in the city, and we play golf together two or three times a year, and it's always a great time, and. Years ago, he was had access to a place out in the Hamptons. He would invite me out, and we would go play a, a wonderful public golf course called Montauk Downs, which is in Montauk at the edge of Long Island. A really nice public golf course. And one of the friends that joined us, one of his friends that joined us, and you remembered the last name, was the son of an infamous woman. Oh. And our millennial listeners may not remember this name. Baby boomers will probably. Uh, and the name is Jean Harris. Her mom was Jean Harris. Jean Harris became famous overnight. This is before viral marketing was possible, before the Internet. I'm guessing it was back in the 70s? 80s. 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 Okay. Yeah. Jean Harris was actually kind of a society-level woman, very wealthy Hung out in very high social circles. Well, she had moved in those circles. I'm not sure she had a lot of wealth because she was the headmistress at one of those classic okay. girls' schools. That's Once right. again, we count on you <laughs> to stop my zombie lies. Okay, you're right. She was. She was. Uh, you know, she was classy, but not classy, necessarily wealthy. She was. She. 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 Uh, she aspired. Aspired, but she was the top administrator at a very well thought of women's finishing school or something, and she. I don't think she was... Was she married? To dating. Dating. She was dating. She was his girlfriend for okay. years. His girlfriend. This guy, Tar- Tarnhauer. What was his first At the name? Scarsdale Doctor. The Scarsdale... That's right. Who wrote a very famous <laughs> diet book called The yeah. Scarsdale Diet. <laughs> and Tarnover, who was a guy probably in his 50s, but he was now a big celebrity and obviously very wealthy and was hanging out in very high social circles. And he and Gene Harris become uh, a couple for years yeah she discovers that he's cheating on her 
That's not that unfortunately uncommon. As what made this somewhat out. unique is she decided to shoot him. Well, wait a minute. She was upset. <laughs> she drove up from her girls' school in Baltimore. Yeah. I. She brought a gun, she, and she claimed that she'd meant yeah. to kill herself, and I'm not sure that was false. First because of all, I love the fact that you're defending She her. had the hysteria <laughs> of a woman scorned. So she drives hundreds and hundreds of miles. He's in bed in his house. She knows how to get in his house. She has a key. She runs upstairs, and I think I know what happened. You know? Wow. <laughs> because it wait, was... Well, wait a there, was a, there was a trial. There, but right, but trial smile. What here's what happened? He's in bed. I mean, this we know. These are the facts. This is not zombie news. Was he in, in grotto or whatever they call it? No, he wasn't Lante? in bed with someone else. He was in bed, but she woke him up. And you know, he was a cardiac doctor. You really don't want to be woken up at eleven or twelve by your hysterical girlfriend who's just driven four hundred miles to confront you. So I have a feeling that she said something to him like, you've done it again. How dare you? You know, blah, 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 blah. Because she was also on some pills and things. And he probably <laughs> made a smart ass yeah. remark is my thought. Like, right. oh, Gene, every time I see you, you're having a nervous breakdown or something. I right. don't know what he said. Something or, condescending. You know, right. Can we talk in the morning? You know, I'm really tired. And she, she had that gun in her hand, and she was going to kill herself in front of him, which is a very female gesture, because it's hard to get some guy's attention. So well, she's got the, the gun. Will that necessarily do it? it that it, could it do it. A, a, a really insensitive remark. Let me put you this way. Just, Where I, you're, when you're in a state of high hysteria. I normally don't give uh, romantic advice, because I'm not good <laughs> at it. But I, I'm going to give some advantage, romantic advice. Ladies, if you kill yourself in front of your boyfriend or husband and it doesn't get his attention, you're in a bad relationship. <laughs> right. And even saying that, but I think he made some smart-ass thing like, oh, you always say that or something. And I think her hand turned, and I can picture it, and she puts him right in her sight lines, and she goes boom, boom, because he fell back, I think, against the headboard or something, and the bullets are in his head. W what could he have said? So many smart, wise-ass, because I've known guys like this. <laughs> <laughs> remarks. It's <laughs> a good thing you and didn't have, have a gun. I, yeah, I've never gotten a gun for that very reason. That's I know I would smart. use it. Good for you. I've right. never gotten a gun because instead I'm likely I love to take having her as a co-host. A, a glass of water and throw side. it at the I wall, know. and you know, ha see the glass flying. That that's well, my. Here's why I'm glad. I'm glad you're defending <laughs> her because um, <laughs> I'm not exactly defending her. Well, no, you are. Uh, I'm hearing it because I, in a sense feel she de she deserves some defense i'm not saying she was innocent but this guy gave me the creeps he just struck me as a really arrogant yeah. i can't use the word for the male genitalia and um <laughs> that doesn't mean he deserved to be killed i'm not saying that but i did kind of feel for her a little bit but think about this this is back in the 80s uh, before the internet but it became a huge story huge it's listen uh, how many operas how many myths how many great novels are written just about this? I mean, this is the human condition. Mm -hmm. uh, men and women, we can't help Clyde but love each other. We can't help but, but, not, but make each other crazy and kill each other. Clyde you know? Nestor, when Agamemnon got home from the war, the That Trojan was a bad war, scene. I think when know? she got out of prison, um, Joan Rivers had her TV show on at the time. And Joan got her as her as the first interview with her oh, after really? she got out of prison. Yeah, wow. I think I remember that when Hester was doing that. I mean, what was interesting about the story <laughs> is this was a very intelligent woman, obviously. Mm -hmm. She ran a very high-level school, private school. And I kind of did 
take her side in a way because he was so green. I don't know. There's something that whole Scarsdale diet celebrity thing. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, and he'd had girlfriends for years and all his assistants tended to be. And once in a while, she'd go to the house and find someone else's dress in the closet. You know, oh, charming. stuff now, like why that. Why are we really bringing up aggravate the, you. The, with everything going on in our world today? How is this going to solve climate change? No, I mean, the, here's here's why this came up. Yeah. So we're talking about, let's have a show of all bad guests, right? And it reminded me of the story of when I played golf with my buddy and his friend joined us, who was Gene Harris's. Now everybody knows who Gene Harris was. Yeah. Son. <laughs> ah. So she nice. was still in jail at the time. <clears throat> and he really loved his mom, right? But he had a really wicked sense of humor. And you know how, what it is when you're playing golf or you're playing cards or whatever you know you're trading stories and it's a kind of like can you top this who can come up and you know i'm a pretty good storyteller he told a story we all said okay we resign <laughs> we can't top your story here was the story he's talking about you know my friend had prepped me that this guy was the son of gene harris and he's a great guy and he doesn't mind talking about it but uh <laughs> He tells the following story. He says, guys, you're not going to believe this. Last night I get a call from the producer of the Jerry Springer show. Ah. Now, again, for people who don't remember good old Jerry Springer, actually a very smart guy, former mayor of Cincinnati, yeah. but he became famous for creating a TV show where he got people to basically punch each other. They did a musical in, in London about him. Yes, <laughs> which is great. London show. Yeah. Those Brits are very witty. So anyway, Gene Harris's son, we're playing golf with him, and we're trying to trade stories, and we're trading jokes, you know, and the whole thing. And then after we told this story, we said, okay, we give up. He says he got a call the night before from the producer of the Jerry Springer show. He says, we want to have you on the show. Now, he's a little suspicious because of the Jerry Springer show. You know, usually, like, they, what, they think of trailer trash or something. They throw chairs. They, they throw chairs. Know. They scream at each other. He goes, well, why are you inviting me on? And this young, ebullient producer <laughs> says, oh, it's going to be a great theme show. And Harris goes, what is it? He goes, sons and daughters of famous murderers. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, I don't want to be on that show. Why do you leave <laughs> No, I don't want to be on the show. And the producer, and you know, you're the producer of the Jerry Springer show. You know how to basically woo people. Get, woo people, thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know what his next line of the producer was? You gotta, it's gonna be a great show. We just booked Charles Manson's daughter. <laughs> 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 oh, I'm on. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, how do you top that story? Oh, boy, I'd ask my mother to kill someone just so I could just go so on that show. Just so you could show. do that, yeah. <laughs> and, and Jerry Springer, I think, is claimed by many people to be the beginning of the lack of civility on TV, that the whole thing of that later led to the reality shows and things was Jerry Springer encouraging people. Because before that, people might get angry at each other on talk shows, but it was verbal. And his show was the first show where people <laughs> did start picking up chairs and things. And, 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 and obviously the, the, the here's producers why loved it. And then I it went think, on. And, and then Here's why I applaud Jerry Springer's efforts. <laughs> The same reason that you love Agamemnon and Clytemestra killing each other. 
because we have this safety valve, which I understand is necessary. I'm not saying I want to walk through life with everybody hitting each other with chairs. But the point is, most of what was put on television was such BS for so many decades of, of, of pretending that you could put this, this, this clean veneer over the chaos of human emotions. Mm. And it, Jerry Springer was a reality show. That's... That's what happens in a, in a lot of households. <laughs> People pick up chairs. <laughs> the house That's what happens. But it's households not supposed to be put forward as good behavior, Doug. It wasn't. He didn't <laughs> laud it as good behavior. He lauded it as popular to watch behavior. Well, the problem is, and we're going to get into this, I think, later with some of your stuff, is that people watch this and they're uh, they're affected by it. And the feeling was, you don't want your children watching a show like this, and then they think when they're mad, they can just swing a punch. Well, they do until they're taught differently. Of course. And, 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 and the producers, by the way, encouraged oh, these yeah. people to do these things. Sure. They, they told them, okay, here's what we want Absolutely. you to do. Absolutely. It was all, I, under, I get that. But there was, growing up in the 50s, yeah. when everything was so tightly wound, Leave you, it to you, be couldn't, you couldn't mention a toilet on television. Right. You couldn't use the word pregnant on television, okay? I'll take a little too much chaos over that, <laughs> okay? Yeah. And I understand everything can go to an extreme where it's uncomfortable, but that's the whole point of our first hour today because an amazing <laughs> synchronicity happened. And I love synchronicity. That's a Jungian term uh-huh. for two or more events, which you can't show the how to cause and effect relationship, but it's too much of a – they're too closely related to just be a coincidence. Okay. Okay. So – I got these five articles from the New York Times this week, which are all interesting articles in and of themselves. But what fascinates me about the five of them thought about together is they seem to contradict. They they, they represent two apparently totally opposing views of the value of the World Wide Web and modern computer technology. Uh, Three of them seem to be saying this is a really bad thing and it's wreaking havoc. And two of them are pointing out what's great about it. And all the articles are accurate. So hmm. I was trying to come up with a way to tie these together, and I thought about my favorite symbol. Um, emoji? That ever, no. Well, an emoji <laughs> can be a symbol. It could be. It's not an emoji. And that's the famous symbol of the, of the Tao, the yin-yang right. symbol. The circle that's divided in half between the dark and the light. But what makes it so interesting is it's not separated by a straight line. A straight line would say there's a wall between the light and the dark. It's a curved spiral, which intimates that the light and the dark inform each other. Mm. You don't get one without the other. Right, it's def- almost like an embrace of the two. Or at least showing the inter- that there's a, there's a there's flow gray. between. Now, which, to, to confirm that interpretation, in the yin yang symbol, in the in the in the half of the spiral that's dark, there's a small white circle in the middle, and in the center of the half of the spiral, which is white. light, there's a small dark circle to emphasize the point that you don't get pure light or pure darkness; that it's always an interrelationship, a mixture, and a flow between the two. The spiral, which is part of that symbol, is a huge symbol throughout human history and it's been, it was replaced pretty much with what's called the enlightenment period 
and Descartes and, and uh, uh, Newton, a lot of great scientific and rational thinkers, the spiral was basically replaced with the straight line. And we were taught growing up that the way time works is it only goes forward and we're always supposed to be thinking about the future because the future is always going to be better right we in the future we want more if you're successful you make more money you get more of a promotion you get more of this you get more of that that's what we were taught it's bad teaching because the spiral i think can be shown as a much more accurate representation of what a healthy life and a healthy mind is all about so we started there and i was thinking well what's a good example of the spiral that's more specific and i thought of Probably my favorite poem of all time, which is The Second Coming by W.B. Yeats, right? So I wanted to get it printed out when I came here, and we're having trouble with the printer. And Victoria says, well, it just so happens I brought it with me because I wanted to talk about that poem. Now, what are the chances of that? It's very well. Weird, Doug. I think you've gotten inside my head because I wrote a poem where I took a couple of lines from it just in the last few days. And then when I heard some of the stuff that Doug was going to talk about, I said, well, I've got this poem called The Generations, which deals a little bit with devices and, you know, what's going on in our culture. But I didn't say to him, and the final two lines of it I took out of a Yeats poem. So this is amazing synchronicity. So would you read, we're not going to do the whole poem right. today, but... A little background. Yeats wrote this as a response to the horrible bloodshed of World War I. He wrote it in 1919 as that war was coming to an end. And people were just, remember, this is the day, forget about internet, we didn't have television, radio was, no, I don't even think radio, radio was around but not let a, yet a public technology. Basically it was newspapers and news that probably took two days to transmit over but um people were just getting wind after that as that war was ending how horribly violent it was mm -hmm. and he wrote this not just in a response to the ravage of world war one but the ravage of all of the 2000 years of human bloodshed right um beginning uh in, in the you know the what's called the modern era um and, and so with the that Irish is, you know, Rebellion, which had affected him rebellion. very much. Yes. And he had had friends who'd, you know, been shot and died in the streets. But what's interesting <laughs> is the first four lines. So would you give us that and how it relates to what we're talking about? The second coming. Turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. I mean, you, how do you get? How do you improve upon that? You don't. <laughs> Could you read that again? <laughs> Crazy me! I, I ended my poem with two lines of it. It's, my poem is going to be finished. <laughs> turning and turning in the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood dim tide is loosed, and everywhere, the ceremony of innocence is drowned. Okay. So, pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Now, so what is a, a turning and turning in the widening gyre? What's a gyre? G-Y-R-E. It's like a whirlpool. It's a whirlwind. It's a, it's a tornado. Uh, it, it's a vortex. It's a tornado would be a violent gyre. Um, if when we turn on the faucet and you see the water circling around down the drain, mm -hmm. that would be a gentle gyre. 
he's obviously talking about the gyre of history and the turning of history and the, the turning of rationality and decency. Um, very powerful stuff. But here's the rub. Without the gyre, without the spiral, there's no movement. There's no creativity. There's no advancing. If everything was a straight line, things would be much more controlled. Things would be much more predictable. Things would be much more rational and a lot more boring and eventually a lot more dangerous because it's the straight line thinking that brings us dictators. They would be black or white. Dictators do, cannot survive in a spiral environment. Mm. They do very well in what I would call a straight line environment. And so it's just interesting to me how I think unconsciously we in the West, not just the United States, have been overly made to appreciate the straight line over the spiral mm -hmm. because the spiral is less predictable. The gyre cannot always be controlled. Right, it's the widening gyre. So it keeps going further, which is why the center cannot hold and why the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Now, it's such a brilliant line, the falcon... The falconer cannot hear the, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. There is the connection between the human mind and the mind of nature. Mm -hmm. Got disconnected. Mm -hmm. How else can you explain the kind of bloodshed that you see either on Jerry Springer on the battlefield of World War One, World War Two, Vietnam War, Syria today, almost everywhere in the world today? I mean, so um, it's it's an amazing poem. It's an, but it's an amazing symbol that gyre that that spiral. Right. So we, we don't say things are straight lining out of control. We say they're spiraling <laughs> out of control. But without the spiral and without that movement, we wouldn't have a Beethoven. We wouldn't have a Picasso. We wouldn't have a Freud or a Jung. Uh, we wouldn't have a W.B. Yeats to write the second coming. Mm -hmm. And yet with the spiral and the widening gyre, we not only get progress, we get incredible violence. And the point of that Tao symbol is we can't separate the light and the dark. And the fundamentalist mindset, which is crippling our culture in many ways and brought us this current president, uh, is all about the fear of uncertainty, the fear of the spiral, the fear of the widening gyre, and the preference for the straight line, the safe call. We'll make you great again. I'm going to do this for you. And we all have a place in our brain where that's what we want. And ain't going to work. So... With that as an introduction, and boy, talk about a long-winded introduction. When we come back, I will briefly excerpt the five articles, and these, and the only way to connect them, and I think they really need connection, is I think with with the analogy of the spiral. We're going to have a poem from Victoria Sullivan, and we know how it's going to end. <laughs> and oh, are we going to have music today in our second hour? The Sultan of Sonic Soul, our Woodstock Roundtable. Uh, musicologist uh, and former uh, Brooklyn baseball player Gus Mancini has brought back a guy I first heard when I was in Florida and I tuned in the show that mm. you were hosting Ron here for us and and Gus had, had brought in this master uh, from from Gambia, West Africa to play drums and we're going to get a little more of it today and that's going to be exciting. We're going to talk green architecture with Rick Alfandre so we'll catch up on some of the progress we're making in green architecture and when we come back, some more improv on mm. the widening gyre. Hang out with us here at the Woodstock Roundtable. <laughs> 
it still is the Woodstock Roundtable. Doug Runther, your host. Our co-host is our Woodstock Roundtable poet laureate, Victoria Sullivan. She'll have a poem for us shortly. Also co-hosting with us and engineering our show is Ron Van Wormer, who is fortunately for us on the air a lot on the weekends here at Radio Woodstock playing you good music. All right, so here are five headlines of both stories and editorials and journalistic pieces from this from the New York Times this past week. And under the theme of the widening gyre, the spiral, um, in Western culture, we, we normally think of things as black or white. In the more ancient cultures, particularly in the East, and the Taoist symbol describes it, it's, everything is black and white. So here we have a headline that says, brilliantly written, by the way, it's true, false news spreads faster and wider. There's the widening gyre. Mm. And humans are to blame. Okay, so we'll get into that in just a moment. That why does bad news spread faster than good news? False news. And false news spread faster than true news. Okay, something we have to come to grips with because of the new technology and growing computer intelligence. Okay. Second article is an opinion op-ed piece entitled The Chaos After Trump. So we have the widening gyre and the center cannot hold. Chaos, right? We're right in the middle of a Yates poem here. Next New York Times article. By my favorite writer of technology, Farhad Manju. The title is, for two months, I got my news from print newspapers. Here's what I learned. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's That's, That's a good headline. (laughs) So if we put those three together... I think most people would conclude that it's pointing out the dangers of the World Wide Web and modern technology. Because while false news has always spread faster than, yeah. than true news, uh, it's, it's much easier to do it now in the viral network and the viral technology of the World Wide Web. The chaos after Trump, um, we'll get into... And for two months, I got my news from print newspaper. Here's what I learned. And you can tell where this is going. Uh, this is from a guy who writes about computer technology, but says, boy, I'm really understanding the limits of that. I bet I got to get off that screen and start doing slow down my brain a little bit. OK, so all of those, are, I think, accurate perceptions of what's happening. And they they paint kind of a negative picture of the World Wide Web. But then how do you square that with the following two articles, news articles, from this week's New York Times? How the Parkland students got so good at social media. Parkland was a school where the 17 kids were shot dead. How the Parkland students got so good at social media. In other words, it was this very technology that allows for all this false news and zombie lies to proliferate. Right. Mm-hmm. And Trump to make everyone crazy every time he tweets and uh, as part of his power, by the way. And um, the fact that our brains are moving so fast, we don't take the time to read much anymore. We want things much faster than that. Right. All those seem to be put downs of modern technology. But without social media, the Parkland students would have they have already within a month 
got the governor of Florida, who is a raging conservative and card-carrying member of the NRA. Got him, they shamed him and pressured him and the Florida state legislature, heavily conservative, to pass some progressive gun legislation. That never happened before. No. How did these students do it? They did it through the World Wide Web and social media. Okay. At the same time, the big story this week is, in West Virginia, thousands of teachers did a walkout. But collective bargaining doesn't work much anymore because unions have been basically defanged right. in our culture, right? Yeah. So they realized their union wasn't strong enough to protect them on this walkout. So they walked out and they used social media to connect with each other, and they ended up winning. They beat back the governor of West Virginia. So here, the very technology that's wreaking havoc in the widening gyre is also creating some of the most progressive movement. So it sounds contradictory, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> it sounds so, very Dow. How do we how do we put those together? Well, number one, we turn to the poets because Victoria, <laughs> mm. right? You have to. I mean, that's what artists, and I would say also depth psychologists who study dreams and the unconscious are are much are are used to doing, which is to. Uh, not try to put everything in a, in a cubbyhole, in a pigeonhole, but to see how we connect the widening gyre. How do mm. we put this all together? Because it's, it's, it's yin and yang. It's not one or the other. But it's so much easier and more comfortable to put our mind in a place where we know exactly what we're going to believe and we're not going to accept into our consciousness anything that might disrupt that belief. Well, I thought that that first article about how false news and they didn't want to call it fake news they said that was too political a term now but this was an MIT study uh, from 2006 to 2017 Twitter and they did massive data and they saw things like how fast something went viral so if it was like a straight mm. true story it might be <coughs> eight hours before there were 2,000 resends. But if it was a false story and probably a more dramatic story, it might take 3.2 hours to get to 2,000. And as you know with your math studies, the sooner you get to a bulk size, then the more resends on that, it, it's going to go from 2,000 resends to 2 million readers. It's like a chain letter. So, um, so, so it, to, to narrow down, you did a very good job of encapsulating <laughs> it. False claims were 70% more likely than the truth to be shared on Twitter. Now, the rationalist comes in and says, oh, I know why that's true. It's just purely technological. It's all these software robots called bots. The people who want to put out false news, um, they, they get... they. They have the money behind them uh, to create these technological bots that will virally, exponentially increase, you know, their 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 reach. Turns out that's not why false news spreads much faster than true news. I, I think that that people are very anxious to believe something that they want to believe, and if they see something regardless of whether it sounds reasonable or not, the Pope backs Trump. Uh, they're going to, they want to believe it so much that they need to pass that on to other people immediately and without thinking. 
But, well, you know, they also said somewhere in that article that people don't necessarily believe the false news they're passing on, right. but it's exciting or interesting or funny or strange or disgusting. They said two big emotions driving them are um, surprise. It's a surprising thing, so you pass it on. And a lot of true stuff isn't very surprising. Uh, and if it's disgusting, you pass it on. In other words, they've now also grouped what kind of emotions drive you to make these decisions. There are no TV shows called The Good News, because <laughs> nobody would watch. Including right. me. Right. That's what right. gospel means. Gospel means the, the good, good news. Right. And, <laughs> and that's been manipulated just a touch. And, and Billy, but, Graham, but, Billy so Graham is what gone. We have, what we need to come to grips with is the fact that we are all much more interested in false news than true news because it turns out our brains, we're like little infants, right? If you want to entertain an infant, what do you do? You dangle something shiny, you know? And, right? <laughs> well, that's us that's as right. adults. We haven't right. grown up. Right. The, in other words, what's the difference between dangling a little shiny object to get an infant in, you know, interested in paying attention or throwing out a Pope backs Trump fake news right. bit is dangling the shiny object. Same thing. The point is, the responsibility is ours. Look, I get that fake news can be transmitted more quickly now, but we, we've been victims of fake news and false news all of our lives. Well, what did they teach us in history growing up? Was that an accurate? Did we get an accurate, big picture view of American history? Growing up in the 50s and edited, 60s. Highly edited with an ideology. Absolutely. <laughs> All the information we got was highly prejudiced. As they used to say, history is written by the victors, which mm -hmm. up until recently was always going to be white men. And we got a very jaundiced, narrow view of history, much of which was false. Well, the Internet has just become uh, the modern rumor mill. Mm. The rumor Chronicles. mill is something that's been going on forever. But we love rumors, and one of the reasons, again, it goes back to that shiny object. Our brains seek novelty. That could be a good thing. If our brains didn't yeah. seek novelty, Victoria couldn't write a poem, right? <clears throat> yeah. Beethoven couldn't have composed a symphony. At the same time, <clears throat> if we don't have at least some bigger awareness of how our brains and minds work, we are going to be totally hypnotized by shiny objects whether they be true or false that's a question of how much work are we willing to do as to it's an interesting phrase to pay attention to something what what's the what's the underlying theme of that there's a cost to what yeah. we pay attention to one of the uh, one of the things that i see on facebook a lot are pictures of somebody famous with a quote over the top of them and if you if you look at the quote, you realize you no, know, Abraham Lincoln didn't say that. Right, that wasn't Abraham Lincoln. That was Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's not fake news; it's just wrong news. Right, it's it's honest mistakes or misleading. Often it's it's purposeful misleading. Often it is. That's what a zombie lie is. Yes. It's it's meant to manipulate. But it's, but it's not just zombie lies, it's unintentional lies. And here's, we have some more of these articles, but here to me is why I remain cautiously optimistic. Because for all those people who think that the, the uh, uh, instant communication of Twitter and Facebook, neither of which I'm on, but both of which I'm really glad are there because they're helping to, they, they helped 
save the te- get the teachers union what they deserved, mm-hmm. and they helped the Parkland kids get actual gun legislation passed. And they helped Donald Trump get elected. They, <laughs> yeah, it also helped uh, Barack Obama get elected. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So that's not the internet is actually fairly neutral. It that's is how we use it. You're and, right. And what baubles are dangled in front of us that we're willing to believe? Who uses it best? Now, but the reason I remain cautious and optimistic is for all those people who want to show that this internet and Facebook and Twitter all this is negative because of all the false news and fake news and zombie lies and manipulation. I say, how do you explain Wikipedia? Yeah, Wikipedia is to me the most amazing. <clears throat> the most amazing uh, reality of the last 20 years. Here is something that's nonprofit, that has a skeletal sca- staff, very few paid workers. Mm-hmm. It's been shown to be virtually as accurate as the World Book Encyclopedia and other well-thought-of encyclopedias, and yet it's totally written by the public. Anybody can go in and change a document. So if there was good... if if fake news and false news was all the internet was about how do you explain the fact that wikipedia is so accurate when anybody can go in there and put in lies about anybody they want the reason is is because enough people unpaid on their own volition go to wikipedia with an intention and that intention is i want this to work yeah and so when they see something patently false there's a way for them to to go in and, and be an editor and get it out of there. Yeah. Yes, and somehow the through time. all the chaos of the widening gyre of Wikipedia, we have a very accurate source of information. And there's no profit motive. No. And there's no centralized control. How do you explain that? In the intention, <laughs> they were able to attract, I don't know how they did it, but they were able to attract literally millions of people who go there with the intention of making it work. Yeah. Not trying to manipulate it to their own self-interest, selfish needs. I go there with more trust than any other site on the Internet. I have to say this, though, having looked it up. I love the Wikipedia, but there are some bad entries in it. When I say bad, meaning... Um, inaccurate. Yes, inaccurate. But you can fix that. You know, but I'm busy. I'm thinking, uh, oh, I'm okay, going to fix but, that. No, but, I'm not going to fix that because it's a subtle, complicated literary concept that they've slightly <laughs> skewed. <laughs> and for Victoria. me to put it back in the right way would require more work than I feel like putting in. Okay. But if you, what, what, do you think, and people have done this, you're absolutely right. There are mistakes on Wikipedia. There are mistakes in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Right. I'm that's just why they, that that's why not, they come up with new editions every year. It's not 100% accurate, and it is quite biased by who writes it, particularly in things like literary criticism. That's true of any journalist. It's true of any encyclopedia. We know that we're, we, we're all, even when we try to be totally honest, we can't help but talk and write from our own point of view. Right. And also your sources. I mean, when I know a subject well, then I know what source the person who wrote the Wikipedia thing was using because if they had looked at two or three other sources, they would have made a more complicated description of the phenomenon. Well, the <laughs> my favorite writer of technology, or one of them, is Farhad Manju, who writes for the New York Times, their technology mm-hmm. uh, column. On, I think it's once a week. And he did this experiment where for two months he... And he's a technology writer. He basically got off the internet um, and started reading the Times and two other newspapers, print 
to see what how it would change his brain. And while I think it's a really good article, I have some issues with it. Hmm. Okay, here's what he says. I first got news of the school shooting in Parkland, Florida via an alert on my watch. Even though I had turned off news notifications months ago, the biggest news still somehow finds a way to slip through. But for much of the next 24 hours after that alert, I heard almost nothing about the shooting. There was a lot I was glad to miss. I didn't see the false claims amplified by propaganda bots that the killer was a leftist, an anarchist, a member of ISIS, and perhaps just one of multiple shooters. I missed the Fox News report tying him to Syrian resistant groups even before his name had been released. I also didn't see the claims circulated by many news outlets, including the New York Times, as well as by Senator Bernie Sanders and other liberals on Twitter that the massacre had been the 18th school shooting of the year. It wasn't true. Hmm. There's a lot of zombie lies created by the left and the right. Instead, the day after the shooting, a friendly person I've never met dropped off three newspapers at my door. That morning, I spent about 40 minutes poring over the horror of the shooting and a million other things uh, the newspapers had to tell me. Not only had I spent less time with the story than if I had followed it along online, I was better informed. Because I had avoided the innocent mistakes and the more malicious misdirection that had pervaded the first hours after the shooting, my first experience of the news was an accurate account of the actual events of the day. First of all, it was more accurate. It wasn't totally accurate. News is never totally accurate. Um, But his point is a point we've been making here, too, which is as much as many of us love being on that screen, and being connected literally to the Library of Alexandria and all the knowledge of the world, it speeds up our brains faster than our brains are comfortable going. And it shortens our attention span. It gives us access to much more, not only information, but more wisdom if we seek it out. Uh, But it's a good idea to get off that screen and consciously slow our brain down, whether it's by reading or just reflecting or Taking a walk. One of the reasons in modern days, to go back to Mr. Yates's poem, one reason the falconer can't hear the falcon and the falcon can hear the falconers, we're too, our brains are, are, are spinning too fast with all this information coming at us. Thank goodness for all the information coming at us. It's our job to know when to get off the screen and be a little more reflective. Otherwise, we're going to be we're, we're, we're no different than that one-year-old infant who's mesmerized by the dangling bauble in front of us. And we all fall for it at one point or another. It's part of our, the way our brain works. Yeah. And one reason I love the ever-increasing computer technology is because it's going to force us kicking and screaming to learn more about how our own brains work. Because the computer can already do things better than our brains can that we used to count on our brains for, like memory. You know how Alexa, you like to talk about her occasionally. Yesterday, after I found the Yates poem, I printed it up. I didn't have when it was written. So I asked her, and she came up with some, you know, movie called The Second Coming. I No, no. And I, I had to ask her about five times, and I finally got the right formulation for the question. And then she said, oh. This is what it says in Wikipedia, you know, and they, she gave me 1919 and blah, blah, blah. And then, okay, good. She comes back and she says, 
was that information helpful to you? <laughs> so something is now in there that if someone formulates a complicated question four times or something like that, it's now programmed to check out if you finally got the information you wanted. And I said yes, and that was the end of our conversation. But it was a little spooky. I'm happy enough to keep formulating it because that's like my brain going up against her brain. Like, ha what category does this information fall into that you can give me a good answer? But I'd never had her ask me before if that's satisfied. Confirm. Con please confirm that this worked for you. And there's, there's something called the semantic web being worked on by the man who invented the World Wide Web, um, where they're, they're teaching computers the complexities of, of human language. Um, and so they're only going to get, Alexa's only going to get smarter and smarter. <laughs> Are we? That depends. Um, we're not going to be able to compete with computers in terms of speed of information. We're not going to be able to compete with computers in terms of remembering things. But one of the advantages, if the computer's remembering things for us, that leaves more energy, time, and space in our brains to do things that computers aren't as good at, like being creative, like being insightful, like making, like working out our unconscious mm. drives. Um, it, you know, it depends how we use all this stuff. Um, and it, it, all, the, all these articles and these writers keep coming back to is some complain about uh, what's going on in the World Web. Others are thrilled with it. It's up to us as to how we use it. And that's been true of every technology. Most of television is crap. But there's brilliant stuff on television. It's our job to find out to make those distinctions. Right. And now that skill becomes even more important uh, because we have access to all information now. Uh, I think maybe we're getting better at it because we are learning, just like the computers. <laughs> we are learning that uh, not everything that you read on the Internet is true. I mean, if it's in, if it's in a book, if it's in print. When that started, we, we believed it because, it, well, it's in print. Now you see it on screen, so you believe it. But now we know that the things that were written in history books weren't necessarily true either. No, they weren't. Just because they were in print. And here's something we've talked about before. It's, to me, the elephant in the room. And I still love to read, but I'm reading less. And there's part of my brain that's angry about that. Mm -hmm. Geez, why don't I just sit down and relax with a book? When I do it, I really enjoy it. But most of the time, my brain wants that more immediate gratification of getting on the screen and getting my information, whether it's a YouTube or whether it's hearing a, um, a, a talk, you mm -hmm. know, a TED talk or something. Uh, I'm, I, I can see where how my brain is starting to want more and more the quick, uh, you know. So I think it's great to be able to throw reading in there. But here's what people don't talk about. How many millions of trees are destroyed right. creating print? How much of climate change is a result of all the carbon being thrust yeah. into the air by all the trucks uh, delivering all these newspapers to people's doors? I read once somewhere what the Sunday New York Times, how many trees it takes to print the Sunday New York Times, and I don't remember it now at the top of my head. Now, it, that would be okay if we were replanting right. as, you know, as many to, to make, which we don't. So, yes, I, I still think reading is important. Uh, for no other reason, it slows the brain down a little bit. 
but let's grow up. Uh, print in the 21st century is an environmental nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> and you still have to fold the New York Times in all kinds of awkward ways to be able to read it while you're having breakfast. I kind of like that part. <laughs> I think, you know, Victoria, we, we gave you a, a, quite a teaser because we know you're, you're, you were influenced by the poem I was thinking about without talking to you, namely Yeats' The Second Coming. Tell us again why the Yeats poem came into your consciousness. Well, I am a big fan of Yeats, and I think, uh, you know, I've practically memorized that first stanza because it comes to me over the years, you know, that those great lines, things fall apart, the center cannot hold. I mean, I'm walking around my house, and I'm, you know, knocking books over or something, and I'm muttering to myself, things fall apart, the center cannot hold. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> and, and I love that image of turning and turning and the widening gyre. I mean... The thing about poetry is images stay with you, mm. and that falcon and that falconer, and it's from such a other world, you know, falconry, but it, it's in our head. We know that the falcon is supposed to respond to the falconer, like it's the great example of training, you know, and animal training, and man, uh, falcons, hawks, whatever, their relationship with them. So certain Yeats poems, and there's others, too, where uh, the lines are in my head. And Yeats is really, uh, you know, uh, uh, St. Patrick's Day is coming next weekend, I believe, next Saturday. And I was actually thinking of inviting some people over to my house and just sit around and read some Yeats poems because <laughs> they're you got, filled you've got to be with a lot of Irish whiskey. Amazing imagery that that stays with you. Mm. Uh, there's one called The Wild Swans at Cool, where he's looking at all these swans flying in formation, and he thinks about the meaning of connection, and and, 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 and he goes on about their loyalty to each other, because swans supposedly mate for life, and he wrote this poem late in life, and thinking about, you know, circularity and that kind of thing. He was a, he was a pretty profound guy, yes, mm -hmm. but also with a fabulous feeling for language. So you take this on and you created But see that a wasn't poem. The, that wasn't the provocation of the poem. The poem had its own provocation mm -hmm. and then at the end those lines leapt into my head and I just slapped them down. So it wasn't that the Yeats prompted the poem um, much more banal things in my own mind and consciousness prompted the poem but Yeats kind of crept in at the end. We can't wait to hear the poem. <laughs> you want it now? <laughs> Lay it on us. Okay, it's called The Generations. Stalking through the corridors of my brain, buildings are falling and friends on trains are riding backwards, N not here but into the land of nostalgia and lost memories. There is a road sign, it says, dementia. We look away, we're still bright, we say, look, uh, I can name all the flowers in my garden and that TV show I saw yesterday. I remember that, too. We have stopped making entries in our checkbooks, but doesn't everyone? So tedious, the bank knows what we have. Leave me alone. I like riding backwards on a train. I like the old ways before everyone's new best friend was their device. Look at them in restaurants and on the street their heads down, shoulders hunched, ignoring everything around them but that holy screen. 
I want to scream, look up, breathe, look out the window, talk to someone. Of course, they continue their prayers to the digital God, and I miss, they then miss seeing the child crossing the street. They hear the screech of breaking wheels, and if they looked up, they would see the tiny body tossed into the air. But they're not there. They're watching angry birds. They're on their screen. They are oblivious to the pain of the world and their own, while we old duffers ride backwards on the train into our own sweet oblivion. Like Yeats said, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. Bingo! (laughs) (laughs) Well done. Well done. So it was a bit of an attack, but I was—I didn't even think about when I called it the generations. But I really have three there. I have the some of my friends who are having a hard time with the fact that you can't have a conversation with anyone anymore because they're looking at their phone all the time, uh, and then the very small child who's out walking around and no one is watching him because the mother's playing with her phone mm-hmm. and, and a car hits him and he goes flying into the air but nobody is watching because they're looking at it. So there, there's the, the older people, the middle-aged people, and the child. And it's it's not a pretty view of it, but there's the craziness to that walking around with your head down. And there's going to be all these doctors that make huge amounts of money on you know neck therapy. Some places are passing laws on uh, distracted walking, so you cannot walk and So you can get arrested for jaywalking and or distracted walking. Exactly. Well, here's as much as, first of all, I love the poem uh, because of its power. But here's my take on it. I, I, I pick up kind of the McLuhan gauntlet. I understand everything can be positive and negative, and we've pointed out the immense positive power of that screen and this connection. It's the reason West Virginia teachers got a raise where they would have been smashed by anti-union. The union couldn't even, couldn't even help them. Um, uh, but they did it by organizing themselves through the Internet. And the Parkland students got gun legislation passed through this. So it's a, there's a lot of dark and there's a lot of light there. Right. But here's to me the, the bigger picture. What's really the difference between a baby boomer looking at a millennial and saying, get your eyes off that screen, you don't even look anymore, and our parents saying, look at that long hair and that hippie, that, that, that hippie craziness. There's no difference. One of the important purposes of a generation is to tick off the older generation. <laughs> But that's, that's not why it, they're doing part it. Of its, it's part of its gyre. Right. But and that's not why they're doing it. They're doing it because, in fact, I think in a lot of cases, they're addicted. But they're all, and, and, a lot of, uh, and a lot of hippies who helped create an anti-war movement and joined the civil rights movement and the women's movement got addicted to drugs. Everything taken to an extreme becomes unhealthy, including drinking orange juice. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's an issue, but I'm sorry. I'm tired of everyone saying, oh, my God, look at them. Their heads are in the screens. It depends how they're using the screen. Yeah. And for everyone who is addicted to it, there might be one who's going to help change the world because of it. Right. And, and I, see, <laughs> I see a lot of older people doing exactly the same thing, just not as well. 
Exactly. There is that. <laughs> there is that. Right. The annoyance. <laughs> you yeah. know, when we had this most recent storm, usually when I have a bad storm, if my power goes out, my cell phone still works. So this latest one, and I'm, oh, I'm screaming at you on my phone, Doug, Why because there was a date that night. Remember, we were going to meet. You were going to meet Patty at a restaurant. And then the storm came, and it didn't hit you in the same way in Kingston. So Doug's over there happily thinking about his dinner party, and there's a wind blowing through my house at about 50 yeah. miles an hour. I have no heat. I have no uh, lights. And my cell phone isn't working particularly well. Yeah, and I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> I got a big kick out of that. I'm sitting in Kingston. Everything's fine, and you're like 10 miles away Snow. in chaos. Right. right. I'm in total chaos, and I'm trying to scream at Doug, and Doug's saying things like, so, yeah, we're thinking of going to this nice Italian restaurant. And I'm going, Doug, listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Patty can't come here. My house is 51 degrees. Is what, Patty? What? So we have a mutual friend who, <laughs> when she comes to visit, stays over with right. you. And uh, you had a call to say that ain't going to happen. I got nothing here. <laughs> right. I thought the whole thing was hysterical. Have a good week, everybody. <laughs>